Songhezo Mapete on SAFM. Indeed, SAFM Health on Monday, World Brain Day. This was, of course, July 22. For every neurological practice open today, they are responsible to serving 400 people. With medical aid being an expensive exercise, only 17% of the population can access private practices and the rest remain dependent on state hospital. Limited resources and access to neurological or neurologists, I beg your pardon, leads to underdiagnosis and treatment of patients with neurological disorders, such as, for instance, Parkinson's disease. To tell us more about gaining access to neurohealth, we are joined by Dr. Dave Anderson, who is at the Donald Gordon Medical Center at the University of Witwatersrand. Of course, he's a neurologist. Dave, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. Good evening, and thank you for the opportunity. Excellent. World Brain Day, its significance. Tell us more about that. What happened on the 22nd? Uh, Every year, the World Federation of Neurology um, brings the world's attention to a neurological condition. This has been done since 2014. And this year, the attention was drawn to Parkinson's disease. Um, The World Federation tries to draw the attention to neurological diseases that are important to try and bring both the community, government and healthcare workers' attention to important diseases so that we can improve the quality of care for patients suffering with these, with these conditions. And this year, the, the theme was uh, to move together to end Parkinson's disease. Why was the focus on Parkinson's disease? So Parkinson's disease is an important uh, condition for, for multiple reasons. Uh, Parkinson's disease is a neurodegenerative condition, um, and it's the second most common neurodegenerative condition in the world, uh, the most common one being Alzheimer's disease. Um, Parkinson's disease is a little bit different in that there are very, very good therapies that can treat the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Early diagnosis um, and early treatment can significantly improve the quality of lives of patients uh, living with the condition, and that can ease the burden um, of the patients and their families, and therefore indirectly, and also in certain aspects, directly improve uh, uh, the, the burden on, on the healthcare service, and naturally that would feed into improving the economy overall. I mean, my first engagement with the disease itself, I'm talking about Parkinson's now, was in the summer, American summer anyway, of 1996, when we saw the once dominant Muhammad Ali struggle to light the Mm -hmm. flames of the Olympic torch in the Centennial Games. Of course, that did a lot for the disease itself and for the related advocacy work thereof. But can you tell us specifically what is it that is the relationship between the brain and Parkinson's disease? What happens in the brain that causes that disease? To take a step back, neurodegenerative diseases are a group of disorders where different aspects of the disease start to 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 break down. Um, in Alzheimer's disease, it's, it's it's components of memory and cognition, and Parkinson's disease is often considered a, a condition where where it is the ability to move, and people recognise it as 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 shaking and and stiffness and slowness of movement, but. That's with, with over the last many decades, we're recognizing it as a condition that's really it's a whole body disease. And although outwardly we, we see it as a, as a movement disorder and a movement problem, 
it, it affects multiple aspects of brain function, um, and, and, and this includes uh, emotional uh, symptoms, memory symptoms. It can affect the, the bladder and bowel function, um, and these symptoms worsen over time. Uh, and, of course, uh, the late Muhammad Ali uh, was a great advocate for the disease, and, um, and currently Michael J. Fox has, has done an immense amount of advocacy for, for, for the condition. It is reported that the disease, for the most part, science cannot quite tell what causes it. Are there any developments in this sense? I mean, do we have at least a suspicion, at least, if not scientific evidence, to what would cause a disease such as Parkinson's disease? We don't know currently what the causes of most neurodegenerative conditions are. What we are recognizing, especially in Parkinson's disease, is that the prevalence is increasing. So... Uh, since 1996 uh, to 2006, uh, there, there was almost a doubling of the of the number of cases uh, around. The, well, certainly in, in where research has been done. Um, so no, we don't know what 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 the causes are, and and this is one of the reasons that the World Federation of Neurology has has highlighted a need for 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 awareness of the condition. We need more research into the condition because until we actually find a fundamental cause for for Parkinson's disease, it's going to be very difficult for us to change the course of the illness. Although, as I said, that we've got really good symptomatic treatments, um, more research is needed uh, and we need uh, healthcare providers as well as governments to start looking at uh, at ways of finding finding ultimately a cure for the disease because we know as populations age throughout the world, both in, in South Africa and other countries, we, we really do need to try and find, find a way of treating this disease as our, as our populations um, age. South Africa is known for every now and then to stun the world by a massive medical breakthrough. Think of the first heart transplant and the ear um, transplant earlier on, or was it late last year or earlier on this year in Pretoria. Now, where do we fare internationally in terms of our research output and our contribution, generally speaking, to neuroscience as a country? Our, our neuroscience output, I think, is we, we do uh, punch uh, way above our, our, our expected output. Um, when you consider how few neurologists there are and how few neuroscientists there are in South Africa and in, in fact, sub-Saharan Africa, I think we do, we do very well. Um, when, the, when you look at what the WHO, the World Health Organization, recommends for a country to have with regards to the number of neurologists um, at about uh, approximately one per 100,000, uh, it appears that in, in sub-Saharan Africa and in Second Africa, we've got 0, uh, 0,03 neurologists per 100,000. And if, mm. if you just have, have to do a bit of a look at the research output, especially with regards to genetics in, in Parkinson's disease, I think, I think that we really do, do very well. With regards to, to, to doing more, I think that, you know, when we start to highlight World Brain Day uh, this year, I think that we, we must start to say that we need to produce more scientists and we need to actually understand what the prevalence in, in Africa is. All the prevalence studies, knowing how many patients are, are living with Parkinson's disease, are really um, in, in, in Western countries, in first world countries. And we need to know just the basics. We need to start finding out how many patients we have in, in South Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa so that we can start preparing um, our healthcare services and start doing research to, to, to meet the unmet needs of our, of our population.
I'm going to ask this question. I wanted to ask it a little bit later, but I mean, you've said something which is quite critical, data. Does South Africa's healthcare data align? Does it coordinate? Does it speak to the research questions that are out there, either at institutional level or research institutions, that is, or at academia particularly? Where then that data, when aligned, can give us, if you like, low-hanging fruits in terms of coming to certain determinations, which only take for data, healthcare data in particular, to be better organized. And once it is organized as it is, as it should be, then it makes research that much easier because you can link, if you like, the dots. What can you say in relation to South Africa's healthcare data and its organization or disorganization impedes the neurosciences development in the country and the related information that you need but are struggling to get, if that is indeed the case? I think... I think your, your, your question feeds into my previous answer, and I, I can say that for the last 25 years, um, South Africa itself has been significantly overburdened with, this, with the previous pandemic before COVID-19, and that was HIV and tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. And understandably, that's where many of the resources of South Africa have, have, have gone to. And, and it has improved the the life expectancy of our population. But as we improve the life expectancy of our population, I think it is going to be vital that we start to start to shift our attention from what we describe as the uh, communicable diseases like HIV and TB to the non-communicable diseases, like uh, especially the neurologically-based diseases like stroke, Parkinson's disease, and Alzheimer's disease. Because without knowing, without knowing what what we have now, we can't really prepare for what's coming. Um, and I think that that really is what you're asking. Have we got the data uh, to prepare our healthcare system? The answer is fundamentally, South Africa does not. To the extent that you mentioned strokes are quite prevalent in the country, and that much is true, and it's well known. And I would imagine um, the reasons behind, or the medical reasons behind why people get strokes equally are high. First, just a comment in terms of strokes, because there is a follow-up question I want to have in relation to strokes and other related neurological diseases. Do we have enough information on strokes? Do we know how to curb the potential of strokes? I mean, I know a high cholesterol diet is putting you on a one-way collision course with getting a stroke probably before your time. So our data with stroke in South Africa is, is significantly more robust than it is with well to Parkinson's disease. And um, uh, our, our studies from approximately, I think now about uh, 12 or 15 years ago, show that we do have a, a significantly high rate of stroke, which um, is related to, as you said, to predominantly high blood pressure, but, uh, but also... Um, uh, uh, um, under uh, diseases like like diabetes, um, has that shifted our healthcare policies? I think it's beginning to. And certainly, when, when we look at the data, some of that data is, is actually from from more rural populations. Um, we've seen that there's been a, a significant uptick in in the amount of stroke. The reason why I was asking that question, because it is clear from what you've just said and what I always understood it to be, was that strokes and related conditions there come from a lifestyle, how you live your life, what you eat, what you do and what you don't do. Like, I mean, it's clear. 
if you exercise and eat well, there's a good chance you will avoid, if not at least minimize, if not avoid these types of conditions. Are there any links, therefore, in the research that is continuously out there that makes certain relationships between what you find in strokes to the neurological condition that is Parkinson's in terms of the development of the research and the closeness, if you like, of that breakthrough, whatever that breakthrough point is? So the short answer to that is is no. Where stroke, there, well, maybe I can take a step back. Both diseases, your risk for both diseases increases with age. With stroke, there are a significant number of risk factors like high blood pressure, diabetes, cholesterol, smoking, that are modifiable. So if we start looking at those associated risk factors, we can modify them. Parkinson's disease, the vast majority of patients who develop Parkinson's disease, they are, they are what we call idiopathic, where there might be some associations with maybe a slight increase with family history, but the vast majority occur randomly, but at different increasing rate. So that's what makes Parkinson's disease far more, um, uh, uh, perhaps the word I want to use is, is um, unpredictable in that the older you get, the more likely you are to get it. If we look at the population at exactly 60 years of age, approximately 1% of the population at 60 has got this condition, whereas we look at the population um, at 80 years of age and about 1 in 20 patients has Parkinson's disease. So there's a lot yet to understand about Parkinson's disease, and that's why it's so important now that we start to to get the awareness both within our, 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 our families and our, our patients who are suffering with the disease to get treatment so that we can improve their lives and, of course, also to make sure that the research is happening to try and understand why the disease is happening within the population itself. One or two questions for Dr. Dave Anderson. He's a neurologist, a brain surgeon at Wits University's Donald Gordon Medical Center. We are taking your calls. One or two, please. 891 WhatsApp voice notes. You guys have been busy on that particular platform. Please keep doing so. 0614-104-107. I'm glad I don't have to keep reminding you of the rules. All the voice notes we've had this week and actually last week were spot on to the point within time as well as making sure that the broadcast quality was never at any stage compromised. Do keep doing that, please. It is thoroughly appreciated, and I thought to mention that. Dave Anderson is a neurologist at Wits University, and I want to ask about MND, Dave. I mean, motor neuron disease is a name given to a group of diseases in which the nerve cells, I mean, neurons specifically controlling the muscles, the neighbor one to speak, breathe, move, swallow, degenerate over time. Would Parkinson's be a form or a disease within the MND, or is it something treated completely differently? Because from at least the symptoms, it sounds the same. So they are principally different conditions. Um, uh, again, what I said was that there are the neurodegenerative conditions, and each one of these conditions destroys part of the nervous system. Alzheimer's disease, for example, affects memory. Um, motor neuron disease affects actually the, the nerves which control movement. Parkinson's disease uh, affects uh, programming functioning of the brain. A good analogy that I was always taught when I was uh, learning neurology and I was somewhat younger than I am now was in a way you can consider a, a, a computer and a, and a printer. Um, mm-hmm. and you need a program to get the computer to speak to the printer. 
if the wire is being destroyed between the computer and the printer, that would be where motor neuron disease sits. In other words, the computer is no longer able to access the, the printer, whereas if the program mm-hmm. to actually make the printer work is not working on the computer, that would be more where Parkinson's is, is functioning. So there sure. are principally different conditions, but they are part of the neurodegenerative disorders. And also important is that there is symptomatic treatment. We can change the symptoms significantly with Parkinson's disease, whereas with motor neuron disease, we cannot change those symptoms. You know, one of the greatest advocates, of course, for MND is Joost van der Vestes, and he's no longer around, so perhaps it might be that the advocacy work in relation to that obviously follows the person who was active in that. And I haven't heard MND probably since Joost van der Vestes and passed away a couple of years ago. But generally speaking, it does sound to me from what you have said that there are limited breakthroughs in relation to neurological disorders or what makes the brain is the question i suppose what makes the brain so difficult to find these cures or these breakpoints for the purposes of medicine and related science so that society if you like from a medical response perspective can be able to move that much quicker why is the brain such a difficult organ or tissue to 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 learn from the brain is the brain is probably, um, and some people might disagree with me, but it's probably the most complex structure we know about in the universe at the moment. Um, and until we actually find the cause of a condition, it is really difficult to treat it. We know what the cause of, for example, um, um, a condition in the brain uh, called Huntington's disease is. Now, Huntington's disease, there is a single mutation, and it causes kind of a combination of Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's disease. And now that we know that this is a genetic condition and can see where the genetic problem is, there are very, very exciting prospects on the horizon for gene therapy and for therapy. And once you've got a, a single cause, you're able to work with that. And I think that that's why it's so important to get the research done. We've got to find out what the single causes of these conditions are. Another example is that, you know, you, with with diabetes, we understand that insulin is a principal problem. It's a little bit more complex than that, obviously. But now that we can replace um, insulin, um, you know, you can you can change the course of the illness. Um, and I think that that it, it's really getting to the root of the problem, or to the source of the problem, that that changes it. But the brain is very, very complex, and it's not just about you know an on and off switch. Um, and often, you know, by changing one structure or, or one function, there might be downstream problems um, that you also have to contend with. The brain, having said that, has got a whole host of symptoms and causes and disorders and diseases. For instance, meningitis, which is probably something many are quite familiar with, and the difference between meningitis um, being a bacterial one or a viral one. I mean, I had the less um, dangerous one. How then, I suppose, is the question, do we as ordinary South Africans, given that it's so scant information other than leading as healthy a life as possible. What else other than saying that can people do to, to the extent possible, of course, avoid? Because we know the costs associated with treating and um, dealing with neurological disorders is quite pricey for reasons you have highlighted, paucity of scarce skills, um, unavailability of resources and all of that simply makes it a point that to the extent that you are fortunate enough to still go there, you're going to be paying probably through your paying an arm and a leg. How do we just try and avoid that? Of course, a lot is not avoidable, but how do we live? 
so Miguel, I, I, I think I think what we have to acknowledge is that not treating a treatable disease can be very expensive. And what, and what I mean by that is if mm-hmm. you treat a patient with Parkinson's disease appropriately with the correct expertise from the beginning of the condition, you can ensure that that person is able to continue working. They are not a burden on their family. They're not a burden on the economy. They can continue to contribute. And that's been shown time and time again, that with good expertise treatment, patients who are suffering with Parkinson's disease can continue to lead a very full life for many years. And mm-hmm. I think the responsibility is on our communities to ensure that patients who might be having symptoms get to the right care. It's the responsibility of our healthcare services to provide the expertise to train neurologists with an interest in this field. And it's the responsibility of our governments to provide both the setting to create the services and also to create the ground and the the environment for the research to improve both the 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 clinical setting and 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 the 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 prevalence studies and the treatment studies uh, for our communities quick question this is an sms coming through is there a relationship between neurological disorders and or diseases and mental health if so what you cannot separate um, the body and the mind at all. Uh, that's a, a, a turn of phrase I really like to, 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 to look at. If we, we're just going to relate this to Parkinson's disease, Parkinson's disease, uh, at least uh, 80% of patients develop anxiety and depression during the course of the disease. Um, and, and living with a chronic neurological condition often results in anxiety both in the, in the family and in, um, uh, uh, in the patient themselves. So absolutely, when you look at chronic neurological conditions, there is often an overlap of, of, of anxiety and depression. And also in the later stages of Parkinson's disease, a person can develop um, uh, uh, signs and symptoms of, of, of of some dementia symptoms, specifically some hallucinations and some delusions. Fantastic. Dr. Dave Anderson, thank you so much for your time. We do appreciate it. All the best for your work and the research in relation to neurosciences as a broad subject in health. Thank you for your time. I appreciate the opportunity. That was Health on Monday then with Dr. Dave Anderson, neurologist at Wits University's Donald Gordon Medical Center. The Viewpoint team is out. It's time for the book reading and the soapy, one after the other until 22 hours. Goodbye, everybody.